I like uh, watching those stories that we've been looking at the last couple weeks. Uh, stories that uh, that God has been uh, I- impacting people's lives with. Uh, stories that uh, God is using to share with others, uh, to see other lives impacted. But I wanted to ask you guys a question this morning. Um, what uh, we, we meet in a movie theater, uh, I think it's kind of neat that we're able to meet in a movie theater. And I don't know about you, do you guys like movies? I, I, I like to watch movies sometimes. What are some of your favorite movies that you, uh, that you like watching? Like for me, one of my like all-time favorite movies, and I think it's the man movie, is uh, um, Gladiator. Do you guys, anybody like Gladiator? I think it's like the ultimate man movie. But uh, Titanic. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, what else? What's that? Sandlot. That's a, like a baseball movie, right? I don't know if I've ever seen that, but I've heard of it. Okay. All right. What else? Inception. That was a sweet movie. That was really cool. That was a cool movie. Um, why, why do we like movies so much? Well, I wonder if we like movies because movies are a story, aren't they? And a lot of times as we're watching the movie, we can associate with maybe a character in the movie. Have you guys ever been there? You associate with a character or maybe you um, associate with, with a storyline, the plot of the movie, and, and it kind of draws you in, right? Uh, for, for instance, <clears throat> I saw a movie. Uh, it's been a couple months ago now, I believe, but it was the movie uh, Book of Eli. And, and I, I, as I watched that movie, I was drawn in because the character in that movie really his, his the job that God had given him was to protect the scriptures right has anybody seen the movie that the job that God gave him was to protect the scriptures and, and all through the movie he is doing everything he can to protect this book and it was called the book of Eli his name was Eli and the book was was the the whole the the, the whole bible and uh so he was protecting the last piece the, the last pieces of God's word that, that was left on the earth after the apocalypse. And uh, <clears throat> he's protecting it from all these different people who want to take it and use it for power to, uh, to, to overcome people and overcome nations. And uh, it, it, I, I like the movie because halfway through the movie, he comes to a realization himself that, wow, I've been trying to do everything I can to do what God told me to do, which is protect this book and protect the integrity of this book but he says, I've gone about it the entire wrong way. He said, I, and he, he read the whole book, and that's all he did was read this book. But he comes to a realization that I've read this book, I know this book, but I've never lived this book. And, and it reminded me of how easy it is to, 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 to be serving God. And as we see this new church started, it's easy for us to, to be serving God and do everything we can to serve God. But it's easy for that line to be blurred in between serving God and doing things that I enjoy and doing the ministry because I enjoy doing it. You guys see the difference there? It can very easily be shifted. And, and so through that, that, that movie, through that story, I could, was able to look at my life and associate with the character of that movie how easy it is to know God's word and to do what God has called us to do, but to also be drawn away from the, 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 the whole reason that God has called us to do it. Uh, the, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about stories. 
And we've looked at, at, at stories of, uh, of David through the scriptures. And last week we looked at the story of Tiger Woods. Um, I, I think one of the main characters that we see in our, in our news today is Brett Favre, right? And Brett Favre is not like the greatest quarterback to ever walk the face of the earth. And the, the, the commentators will even tell you that his numbers aren't the greatest. He has the most touchdown passes, but he also has the most interceptions thrown. And, but I think the one thing that draws us into Brett Favre's, uh, the, the one thing that draws us to Brett Favre is his story. And he has a story where in high school he played football, but his dad was the football coach for his high school team, but they had great running backs, and so he never threw the ball. He handed it off to the running backs. And then he moved on to the college. The only place that offered him a scholarship was uh, Southern Mississippi. And so he went to Southern Mississippi, and, uh, <clears throat> and, and, and the only team that would give him a shot, and he started playing, he was doing well, and then he uh, had, had an almost fatal car accident that, that sent him back. And it was incredible. He was only out for six weeks. He came back, and he, he, he had a game-winning drive to win that next game that he came back. I think it was against Alabama. And so we see this, this story of Brett Favre of things that are setting him back. And even in current history, within, uh, within his NFL career, he was drafted by the Atlanta Falcons, who didn't even like the guy, never gave him a shot. They traded him to Green Bay. He started with Green Bay for like the next half century, right? And uh, <clears throat> those of you guys know football because he like has the longest streak for any NFL player. But... Uh, but there was all these even setbacks within his NFL career where his dad passed away. And then his wife got cancer. And so he fought all these battles along the way to be the quarterback that he, that he uh, is now, I think, for the third time is officially retired. Um, but now that he's re- officially retired again, uh, to be the quarterback that, he, that he's been through his NFL career. Now, I don't think that the thing that draws us to Brett Favre is his football ability necessarily, and he's a great football quarterback, but I think a lot of times it's his story. And as we look at the stories, we're drawn into stories because we can see pieces of that story within us. Stories of perseverance, right? Stories of overcoming. Stories of not having a chance and then all of a sudden getting that chance. Uh, all kinds of different stories. And so the last couple of weeks, as I said, we've talked about the story of David. And the first week we talked about David and his relationship uh, with his best friend Jonathan. And within that story, we asked the simple question, beginning of 2011, how many of us want our stories to be told through God's eyes? How many of us do we want God to tell our story in 2011? And many of us said, I want God to tell my story this year. No matter where we came from in 2010, I want God to tell my story this year. And so within that passage we looked at in uh, 1 Samuel 14, when Jonathan and his armor bearer advanced against the Philistines on their own, we talked about having the initiative to let God tell his story through our, to, through our lives this year. We talked about the influence that our story can have on other people's lives. As we talked about the Hershey uh, candy bar and the influence that that had on Leah's life. And we talked about uncertainty. A lot of times when we say, yes, I want God to work through me, to change me, to transform who I am, so that his story of grace and mercy is told through my life, there's going to be uncertainty. There's going to be uncertain steps that we have to take for that to happen, right? And so we talked about that a little bit. We talked about we have to embrace the inherent dangers 
that are going to come as we advance in this story. We talked about having just an advancement mentality, always moving forward. But we talked about all of that and the importance of that within God using our lives in 2011 for him to tell his story, not for me to tell my story. And then last week we looked at David and Bathsheba and the unfortunate story that happened within David's life that became a part of who David was, and we'll see this week how it affected his family. But we also looked at how God used that tragedy within David's life to tell God's story of grace and mercy. And uh, this week we're going to look at the story of David and Absalom. And just to give you an idea, we're going to look at Psalm 3 this morning, and it's really the, the cry that David cried towards God after this story that transpired between David and his son Absalom. If you guys remember in the scriptures, like last week, we covered like two years in like, in like a half hour. Today, we're going to cover like six years in a half hour. And so you got to bear with me a little bit. But uh, <clears throat> the story of Absalom was one where, where his... Uh, his sister, was Tamar, if you guys heard of Tamar, his, was Absalom's sister. And Tamar was raped by her, her half-brother Amnon. Okay? Amnon. And, and, and what happened was he, Amnon said, you know what, I, I for whatever reason, there was, there was sin within, within this family. And he said, I'm attracted to my half-sister. And so his buddy told him, he said, why don't you act like you're sick one day and tell your father, David, when he comes to see what's the matter, that, hey, you want your, your half-sister tomorrow to come and cook, cook for you and to feed you to help you restore your health. And so he does this. He pretends to be sick. David comes and Amnon says, you know, send my half-sister tomorrow so that she can cook for me so that I will be restored to health. And so Tamar comes and cooks this meal for, for Amnon and, uh, and and says, you know, feed this to me. And so he gets himself alone with Tamar and he rapes his half-sister. And, and, and it's amazing to me because David learns of this and David does what? Absolutely nothing. And it makes me wonder within our society today, we saw David as a father that was complacent and passive and didn't take initiative to resolve the conflict within his family. I don't think that's new to us today in our society, gentlemen. It amazes me how often I run across fathers that are complacent, husbands that are complacent within their families, and passive to the things that, that they need to be doing to restore health within their family. But anyways, David is complacent to, to it, and so his, uh, uh, Tamar's brother, or, yeah, Tamar's brother Absalom takes her in, and for two years he cares for her and tries to restore health, uh, physical health, mental health, social health, back to his sister. And so during this two-year period, I'm sure that Absalom is, is furious that his dad did nothing to protect his sister. And so there, there, there's a, a party that comes up. It's a sheep-shearing party, right? Have you guys ever gone sheep-shearing? I guess there was nothing else to do in Jerusalem. But uh, so Absalom has a sheep-shearing party, has all the king's kids come on over. We're going to have a good time shearing sheep together, right? So he, he makes this plan. He has Amnon come as well, and, and he gets his, his, uh, his brother trashed. And, and when he gets Amnon trashed, he says to his friends, he says, when he's drunk and delirious, I want you to go and kill him. 
And so they do. They kill Amnon. And, and, and when they kill Amnon, they, uh, <clears throat> Absalom has to leave the, the kingdom. And so Absalom takes and he runs off. And, and uh, <clears throat> as he runs off, David again does what? Nothing. And so Absalom runs off and he's gone. I think it's for three years he's gone. And he goes and stays with his grandfather. And then through that three-year process, David is challenged, you know, bring your son back and make things right within your family. Things are so messed up at this point. And it's amazing how a little sin trickles in from David and Bathsheba, right? Because David and Bathsheba happened before this. A little bit of sin trickles in and it destroyed the root of the family, didn't it? So anyways, David is challenged to bring his son back. So David brings his son Absalom back has him come back and live within the kingdom again, but David doesn't talk to him or see him for two years. He doesn't want to see him. So it's it's uh, if you know anything about Absalom, he was uh, he was kind of a, a very handsome individual, and he was he was the player in the kingdom. All right, any of you guys know those guys in high school? They were kind of the player in high school, right? And what I mean by that is they were the guy that uh, would find a girl they liked that somebody else was dating. And, and what they would do is they would say, instead of going up and say, hey, dump that guy, date me, they would kind of just hang out kind of in the dark, right? Just kind of be around. And they would watch. And when when when, when the girl's boyfriend did something she didn't like, he, the, 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 the other guy would say, yeah, you know, he really shouldn't treat you that way. You know, you know, if you would go go with me, I wouldn't treat you that way. You know, or or you know, hey, you know, I can't believe he's doing this. Let me let me help you, right? This was Absalom. He was the player in the kingdom. So what Absalom did was he would sit out the the, the outside of the palace, and as people went into David to complain about things that were going on within the kingdom, David would listen to them. But then those people would exit, and Absalom would say. I know exactly what you're talking about. If I was king, that wouldn't happen. And so over this this two-year period that Absalom is back in the kingdom, Absalom draws all these people to himself, causes a revolt within the kingdom. David leaves, and it's amazing. David doesn't fight for his kingdom. David leaves, and what he does is he leaves ten of his his concubines, ten, ten, ten women he leaves behind and says, you take care of the palace. So Absalom marches right into the palace, takes over the kingdom, and it's amazing, it's kind of ironic what he does is he takes and he has sex with all ten of those women where at on the rooftop. Sound coincidental? Wasn't David doing the same thing years prior? Again, the sins of our fathers will be handed down to our sons and our, our grandsons. And so Absalom takes over this kingdom and as Absalom takes over this kingdom, David flees. And it's really not David who fights for the kingdom back. It's David's servant who fights for the kingdom back. And Absalom is one day going out of the palace, uh, going out to fight against David. And it's, it's kind of a, a crazy story. He gets himself caught in a tree. And so uh, I think it's Joab goes and he, he throws three javelins into Absalom and kills him. And then David's restored to his kingdom. Turn, turn with me to Psalm 3, if you would. 
Psalm 3. And, and if you don't have a Bible, please put your hand up. We would love to give you a Bible that you can take with you. You can put your name in this and call it yours. As I look at David's family, there's all kinds of messes, isn't there? David's son rapes his daughter. David commits adultery. David has the husband of the woman he commits adultery with murdered. And we talked about that last week. David's other son tries to overthrow the kingdom. David flees. David is passive. So there's all kinds of messes. There's all kinds of betrayal. There's all kinds of sexual sin. There's all kinds of lust. There's a, a lack of leadership. All kinds of messes within David's family. And it amazes me that Jesus would choose that lineage to be born through. Isn't that amazing? Jesus told the greatest story that it's ever been told through that lineage. As this is going on, I'm sure David has all kinds of questions. <clears throat> I don't want to stand up here and ran out David the whole time because I, David, Scripture says David was a man after God's own heart, and I believe that's true. And so I believe as, as all this is going on around David, David is in a place where he's like, God, what is going on? All these questions are stirred within his mind, within his emotions, within who he is. God, why is this happening? And it makes me ask the question, how many of us have been in those times where we're questioning, God, what is going on? As Tamar in that video shared, you know, there's, she, she goes to the doctor and finds out she has life, life-altering cancer. You know, cancer is going to take her life. All these questions swirl around. <clears throat> on a lighter note, my son, I have all kinds of questions about sometimes. Last night, we're putting together this shelf in my home, and, uh, and Malachi walks into the room, and he's two. Uh, and he walks into the room, and he's taken a marker and put these red marks across his forehead. He, he looks like Rambo. He comes in, he's like, ah! right? And, and it's funny, Malachi's at that stage now where he... he <laughs> my wife has to correct him because I, I think it's kind of funny, so I have to keep myself from laughing as she corrects him. But, but he, he, he thinks the word but is funny. And so he's at that stage now where he'll say, Daddy, and then like he'll pause and he'll say, But. <laughs> right? Or he'll go up to somebody else and he'll say their their name and he'll say, But. <laughs> and it's kind of funny, too, because he's at that stage. He's learning to talk, right? And so he puts a T on the end of every word. Okay, he puts a T on every on the end of every word, and so <clears throat> because we're up from up north, we don't call soda soda; we call it pop up north, right? And so he'll come up and he'll say, uh, "You know, pop," but he won't say pop; he'll say pot. 
And so we're at a restaurant, and Malachi, what would you like? He'll say, pot, <laughs> right? And, and so we have to correct and say, no, no, that's, that's not what he means. <laughs> he just wants a drink, okay? And, <laughs> and so we're having to be careful the words that we teach him too, because we don't want to teach him the word ship, right? So we teach him boat, all right? Say boat. He can say boat, right? <laughs> and, uh, and it's just funny, all these questions as you raise kids, and uh, just just these things that you're helping kids understand and learn and grow, but but just questions, and it reminds me a little bit just the questions then that David had to have during this time of God. What are you doing? And look with me in Psalm three, if you would. Psalm three, verse one, and, and David writes this during this time that's as he's fled from Absalom. You'll see that a Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. It says, "O Lord, how are my foes?" How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And so David is saying, I, I run from my foes, and many and people are telling me that God is not going to deliver you, bro. And David goes on in verse 3, he says, But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. And David says, Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Have you ever been in that place? You're confused. Have you ever been in that place where there's betrayal that's happened? Somebody's betrayed you. Have you ever been in that place? Maybe, maybe parents have divorced. Have, have you ever been in that place where, where, where maybe you were promised this job and this job doesn't give you what they have promised you, or, or maybe. Maybe you've been in that place where, where, where the, you, you thought things were going well in your job and all of a sudden the next day you don't have a job. Have you ever been in that place where all these questions are stirring within your head and you're like, God, what are you doing? God, will you ever deliver me from what is going on in my life? Has that ever been your story? I want us to look at verse 3. Because I believe that verse 3 is one of the most comforting things that David says in this psalm as he's crying out to God. Can we have verse 3 back on the screen? Is that possible? No? Okay. Uh, we'll look at the, the verse 3 in the scriptures then. It says, But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. David doesn't say, Lord, you are a shield in front of me. David says, You are a shield all around me. You see, God is not a shield that is just in front of us, protecting us from what is in front of us as we advance. 
David realized something in his life. He realized that God is a shield all the way around him, protecting him from every angle within his life. You know, how, how many of us take to heart what, what, what David writes in this psalm? And it, it, it says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Uh, verse 4, to the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. David, at the end of verse 3, he says, you bestow glory on me and lift up my head. You know, as I mentioned in, in that, that, that example from that movie, it, it's easy for us to read what is in this word, but it is another thing for us to really take to heart what we're told in this word. God is a shield all the way around us. So then why is it that some of those things, some of those questioning places that we find ourselves in life, why is it that we hurt so badly from those? I think there's two reasons. One, I think we hurt so badly from those, first of all, because God wants to use that within our life to bring us in more of a dependent state on Christ. Because God wants to do something within our lives through that. Do you think that anything that we face in life will derail us from the purposes that God has for our lives? Not at all. Do you think that God is surprised by anything that comes within our life? Not at all. Not at all. God wants to use those things to bring us to a state of dependence on Him. Because David says, You are a shield around me, Lord. You protect me from all that is going on. Not saying that it won't hurt. It will hurt at times. But saying that I will be protected from those things. Because you are a shield all the way around me. And then David goes on, he says, You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. David says God lifts up his head. David isn't at a state where, where he's, he's living up here and he's, he, he, he said, I want to be up here. And God is going to do everything that I want God to do. David's come off of this place down here and he says, I have lowered myself to God. And God, I have lowered myself to what you want to do in my life, trusting that you are working something in and through me. Trusting that you will deliver me and that, Lord, you will raise me back up. Sometimes during those questioning parts of our story, though, it's hard for us to remember that simple truth, isn't it? It's hard for us to remember that simple truth. But guys, there, there is not... I, I heard somebody else say this and I thought it was great. There is not enough horsepower in hell to derail what God wants to do in your life. Do you know that? Do you hold firm to that? Do you know that the story that God wants to tell through your life, that God wants to use sometimes those most questioning places that we have been as his greatest story? Do you realize all these stories that we're sharing about David? God used this as his greatest story. Because it's through these times that we truly see God at work. It is no longer David, but it is God working through David. 
to see your life raised up, you have to bow down. I think that sometimes that's, that's hard for us to do. To see my life raised up, I have to bow down. Otherwise, I am living raised up on my own, and God will not have that. I, last night I was going through this, just a final time to go through this and just praying, God, please show me what, more, more of what you want to say. I already had, I, I already knew what we're going to be talking about and spent some time with God on this earlier in the week, but last night it was like, okay, God, please, I, I, there's something I, I, I'm just not getting yet. And a lot of times as I study, I'll listen to music. And I was listening to this song, and it, it, I actually wrote it down. I, let me, it says, uh, how can I stand here with you and not be moved by you? It was a question in the song. And it made me ask the question, how can we sit here by you, God, and not be moved by you? It's easy for us to come on Sunday morning. It's easy for us to to say, I've went to church this morning. I've done what God wants me to do for the week. And it's really a lie. How can we be here this morning and not be moved by him? especially as we look at the messes in our lives. Do you guys believe in miracles? I, I, I've heard miracle stories uh, of people I've talked to in other countries. Of They, they would have these big cane burnt, these big... Uh, fires would they would they would burn canes and crutches because they would pray that people would be able to walk again and God allowed these people to walk again. I, I've heard of that taking place in Africa. I, I've heard of uh, stories over and I, I believe it was China where where, where people were, were deathly ill and, and were prayed over in the name of Christ and God rose them back to health. Now I've seen that here in our country even. I, I've even heard the story. One story of a man in China, part of the underground church that was leading that church, that actually died and they prayed for God to raise him back from the dead. And from what I was told, they rose this man, or God rose this man back from the dead. Who am I to argue with God? But do you believe in miracles? I think one of the miracles that we often don't realize is the miracle inside of each one of us. Do you realize that you are a miracle? I'm a miracle. I don't know, some of you may not think that way. (laughs) I'm a miracle. My mom was told she would never have kids. My mom was one of those individuals, didn't know God, but said, God, you give me a kid, I'll give that kid to you. I never even knew that until she told my wife that a couple years ago. She actually prayed that prayer. And 
I don't, I don't know. But I remember as a, as a little kid just being really confused. You know, what is life? You know, what is death? You know, I remember as a kid uh, hearing voices at times. And I didn't know what that was or, or what was going on. I, I was a confused kid. And then I grew into high school. I never, I didn't grow up in the church. I had a friend of mine invite me to his church to play basketball. And so I, I went to this church to play basketball, and it was kind of a, a bonus. There were pretty girls there as well. And so I went to this church to play basketball, and I, I made a lot of friends. And would you know that God changed my life? And then, and then as I went into college, my focus was, was way off. And God made me deathly sick and used that sickness to, to re, re-resurrect my life, I would say, and change who I am and my focus and direction in life. And I'm not the only one with those kind of stories. You guys sit here with your own stories of what God has done within your life. And the transformation that God has brought about within your life. And the transformation that God wants to continue to do within your life. But do you ever think about that? You are a miracle. It doesn't matter the messes that you've seen in your life. It doesn't matter the family that you come out of. It doesn't matter the mistakes that you've made within your life. You are a miracle. Through, the, through this series, we've been challenging ourselves. We, we've been saying, God, I, I want you to tell your story through my life in 2011. God, I want you to take that sin. God, I want you to take that mess. God, I want you to take the little that I have to give to you and tell your story through it. But do you know that for extreme transformation to happen, it takes extreme commitment? It doesn't take me just coming on a Sunday morning and say, okay, God, um, I'm here this morning, change my life. It doesn't happen that way. Extreme transformation happens through extreme commitment. I remember through those high school years, Reading God's word, not understanding half of what I read, but reading it, just knowing that I was looking for answers. There's transformation that happened because there's an extreme commitment during that time to understand what was in this book. And you as well can point at extreme times within your life. If you've made a decision and given your life to Christ at this point, you also can look at areas within your life where there has been more of an extreme commitment. It is during that time where there is more of an extreme transformation that happens. And so I, I simply just want to ask us, you know, what is the, the, the commitment that God is calling for within your life? So what is God asking you to go low in so that he may raise you back up? 
What, what, what are those messes within your lives, those mistakes, those, those areas that we hold on to? Because it, it's, it, it, for, for instance, it's like, okay, God is over here. And God is saying, come over here. There's so much I want to do within your life. But, but these things from, from, that we hold on to within our lives are holding us back, whatever they are. And it's like we're trying to go over here, but, but we're holding back onto this stuff. And God is saying, let go of that stuff. Come over here and watch me do a miracle within your life. For extreme transformation, it takes extreme commitment. I, I don't know about you, but I've, I look at life and, and I try to always remember the shortness of life. I'm not going to be in my 30s forever. No, my 40s are going to come quick and then my 50s and 60s, I pray my 70s, maybe 80s, I don't know. But I know that's going to fly by and when my life is, when I'm here at my last day and I'm, I'm, I'm done, I want to be able to, 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 to look and say to God, God, your story has been told through my life and I, I thank you for that. I want people to be able to look at my life and see that Christ has worked through me, that I'm no longer who I used to be. Extreme transformation comes through extreme commitment. I don't know what that looks like for you this year, but I do know if you want God to tell his story through your life, then there is an area within your life that God is saying, give over to me. There is something maybe from a past, maybe betrayal or something, God is saying, give that over to me. Go low that I can raise you up. Let me be that shield all the way around you. You should have walked in with communication cards. And on the back of that card, I just want to ask you, you know, you can be in people here in all different places. I would ask you to take and write on the back of that communication card what it is that you feel like God is saying, I I give this to you. And I'm not asking you to write that so that it becomes public, uh, a public domain. I'm asking you to write that because I truly want to pray for you in that and help you with that if there's anything I can help with. But first, I just want to pray for you because I've realized within my life that transformation happens within me because somebody is praying for me as well. Somebody is praying for me to take those steps that are hard to take, to take that initiative that is hard to take. And so I would just encourage you to write on the back of that card, I'll be the only one to see it, I promise. Because I want to pray for you. Because extreme transformation comes through extreme commitment. And I want to pray for your commitment to hand whatever that is over to Christ so that God can work in your life in 2011. So that God's story can be told through your life this year. And I don't want us just to be here this morning and to... To, to say, <clears throat> okay, I, I've come this morning. Wow, that was a great challenge, Mike. I, I appreciate what God has told me this morning. I don't want it to stop there. I want us to be able to leave here and say, I've met with God this morning, and I leave changed 
a little bit because of what God has done with me. I want to be different because I've been in the presence of Christ. With that said, I believe that there's others outside of this theater that God wants to tell their story through. And I believe that God wants to tell his story through their lives by intertwining your story with their story. I would not be here today if that friend of mine didn't say, hey, once you come, I think you'd like to play ball with us. I know you like to play ball. There's others that, I, that you know that I know that we can say, hey, once you come, I think you might be encouraged by this. We are in a unique place as a new church. We are forming a unique identity of what God wants to do within this church. We've been here less than a year. And it's, it's encouraging to me. It's exciting for me to see how God is using all of us to form the identity of what he is calling Awaken to be within this city. And I remember when we launched our public worship gatherings here in this theater less than nine months ago, I remember saying we are a church of screwed up people that God is looking for other screwed up people to change and transform their lives. And so I welcome you here with all your messes because I'm here with all mine, guys. And it's only by the grace of God that he changes us and transforms us. Let's take a minute and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives. Jesus, I thank you that you do not want to leave us as you found us. Jesus, I I thank you that we each enter in here with something that you're working within our lives, something that you're saying, I want to change and transform who you are because I want to make you more in the image of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, there may be more here today that that do not even know what it means to give their life to you, Jesus. And and Jesus, I I want you to, 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 to open eyes so that people can truly see who you are. Jesus, I want those that are here that are hurting to be able to say, Jesus, this is my hurt. I give it to you. Please heal. Please change me. Please be that shield around me. Please help me to go low so that you may raise me up. And if anybody's here this morning that does not know what it means to even have a a real and live and vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, mark on your card that you'd be interested in knowing more of what that means. And I would love to talk to you about that. And Jesus, I pray that you would point to us each of us the area that in our life and help us be vulnerable help us to be real with you Lord that you want to change within us that we have to go low in so that you may raise us up and use that as a story of your mercy and your grace so that you Jesus would tell your story through our lives and that we wouldn't be telling our story but your story It's in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.